courage or crazy? Courage to get through life and a whole lot of crazy to survive life. Trapper, Teresa, and Cheryl, your ambassadors of courage or crazy. Sharing life with you, uncensored and unfiltered. Real life, real people, real courage, real crazy. and welcome to another episode of Courage or Crazy. Today, we're going to do part two of our conversation with Gina. For those of you who haven't listened to part one, well, you probably should, because I'm going to give you just enough information so that you're going to have to listen to it. But Gina is the mom of a beautiful baby boy who was born with spina bifida. And uh, we talked about bringing him into the, the world on May um, 13th, 2006, and how her life changed Seven. and what the time... Oh, 2007. Oh, 2007, sorry. And uh, what it was like leading up to him entering the, the world and joining us. So we're going to start by... Um, when we left off in part one, we had... Uh, he had... Gina had actually held him for the first time and... Uh, of course, those of you who listened to the first podcast, you know what we are talking about when we said he had a button and he had some flippers. So listen to podcast number part one to find out what all that is about. And now we're going to talk about the next step of his journey because it was not just one day. So Gina, tell us what happened. Um, you were in Alaska at the time and uh, he was due to have surgery. The doctor decided not to do surgery there. And then um, you were had gotten to hold him for the first time, and now let's just lead into what what was his journey and his path moving forward right. for the next few days or months. So um, a neurosurgeon declined the surgery, and we were told we needed to find our own resources um, to find a new surgeon. And that was not something we had prepared for, nothing we'd researched. We knew that we would need a lot of help finding a new surgeon they the I don't know who suggested it but they suggested reaching out to my insurance and asking I wasn't the one who did it I don't know who did I want to believe it was somebody here back at the hospital that helped Courtney um because they kept telling us to well you're from Texas reach out there and see I don't know what we're looking for I don't know what kind of neurosurgeon I need. Is it just any neurosurgeon? Mm -hmm. um, I am just had a baby that is not what I expected. And I'm taking this relatively well, but I cannot move and do these things. Uh, before I know it, they have, uh, we've been in contact with Phoenix Children's Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, they, our insurance at the time was through Banner Health. And they had a home off, I mean, they, they, they pay the fees and everything associated if you use their services. Okay. So everything's at a reduced rate as it as is with most hospital systems. And they were they started making these arrangements and the key was he had to stay in the NICU. If he got on a commercial airline and flew home and flew to Arizona, then he would be moved to pediatrics. Mm. So they came up with this idea. Again, I don't know who's making all these decisions at this point anymore. <laughs> but thank these, God somebody life was. Is, life, for the next 10 days, um, life is happening, and I am just an active player in this scenario. People are telling me what to do. I am doing them, 
and not much else. I am trying to care for this baby and learn how to be a mom from that perspective and also keep my sanity. I'm barely hanging on there emotionally. And so they tell us that in 24 hours, they're going to life flight us from Anchorage to Phoenix, Arizona. Hmm. I work in HR. I know insurance this much. And I was like, we are never going to be able to afford this. <laughs> but I, I, you don't care, though. You right. don't care. You're mm-hmm. just like, it is what it is. And we're going to we're going to move forward with this. So they, my husband is there for that one day that Alejandro was born. And then he has to fly out. I mean, he has to run home, pick up the kids and meet me in Arizona. And it's not that simple. It's, you know, a five and a half hour drive. It's getting them ready, like gathering all their stuff. Um, That night though, he got to spend one night with me there in the hospital with, with the baby and we got to have him, you know, the couplets have him in the room with us and we're just in awe of this child we've made and how quiet he is and how, um, just serene. Mm -hmm. Even then we were like, this is an old soul we're dealing with. And that evening they come to us and they say, you need to learn how to calf. We don't know his prognosis. We don't have any real way of knowing at this moment, at this point, he may be able to release urine. He may not. He's not old enough for us to know anything about that. I felt helpless in a way I'd never felt before. Mm. I was like, I can't. The first thing I said is, I can't do this. I cannot hurt this child. And they're like, they won't, you won't hurt them. Um, so my husband has to calm me down. And he's like, he just takes my hand. And he's like, let's go see baby. Let's go visit him in the NICU. So we go to the NICU. And um, we get there, and they look at me. Everything is they look at me, and Teresa can attest to this. Everything that happens from here on out, they always look at me first. And I I just don't want to be that person. Right. I just want to be alone. I want to deal with this. And I feel that every time someone asks me something to make a decision, I'm incapable of it at this point. Mm-hmm. They hand this stuff over to me and they say it's a catheter it's the alcohol wipes it's all this stuff and gloves and i'm just standing there with it in my hand like what do you want me to do with this he said we're going to show you how to do it i said no i i can't do this and my husband <laughs> goes all right show me and then i'll show her right. he goes and i'll show you i said okay that sounds good that's doable somebody i know i feel comfortable you would never hurt him and if you can do it with your giant bear paw hands, then I can do it with my little bitty hands. And so the, the nurse or whomever shows him, it's actually, we have somebody from urology there and they're showing us what to do and they're walking him through the process and it's easy peasy. <laughs> and he's like, Gina, you can do this. I just did it. Right. Now you do it. And I, all I can think in my head is I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And, but he's talking to me in a calm tone and I do the thing and sure enough, it works. And they're like, okay, so when you go on this life flight, your husband's not allowed to go with you. We need that. And that's, they're explaining why they're talking to me only. And I said, but I can't hear you all when you're talking to me right now. I'm so much emotion. I can't hear you. And so they keep doing this relay of conversation. And he calmly explains things to me. 
So what I'm learning is that my son and I are leaving in less than 24 hours. We are taking a one of the flight, those small planes, those jets from Anchorage to Arizona, and we have to travel via via ambulance from the hospital to the airport to some airport in Washington where they're going to stop, reload, feed us, do whatever, and then we're going to continue on to our destination where we will get in another ambulance and then be delivered to the NICU. This is all in the purpose of keeping him in the NICU. Wow. Yeah, that's a <laughs> so lot. That's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. And it happens. And the, the night, the day of the travel, my doctor comes in. This is the doctor. She did my C-section. She's very proud of herself, by the way. She's like, good work to herself. <laughs> um, and then she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I can't breathe. I said, I, I can't, I can't breathe. I, I'm, I'm, she's like, you're fine. You're fine. This is a lot. Um, she gave me like some antidepressant or something, or I think she gave me Ativan, honestly. I think she gave me Ativan and was like, it's okay. You're not pumping yet. You can take this. I don't know. She let me take it. <laughs> and it helped and she's like come check up we'll have to do a checkup etc we moved fast forward to this this crazy like fast rush my husband had left we ran to pick up the kids in, in Fairbanks we have cell phones but these aren't like iPhones yet right, <laughs> right. these are like Motorola's mm -hmm. right? and cost by the second yeah so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I have no idea where he's at. I don't know if he got home safely. It's a, it's not a safe trip. It's always, there's always risks involved, but I'm also like on my way out. I am being moved and put on a plane and being escorted and jumping in this ambulance, jumping out of this ambulance. And I get on the plane, the first one, and they tell, they look at me and they said, your son is our patient, but you are not supposed to be flying. So unofficially you're our patient also. Ah. So we're going to be doing your vitals every hour. Oh, and I was, I was like, okay. Let me guess, your blood pressure was a little high. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was in a state, and I ended up in the ER later. Um, yes. With Teresa. <laughs> because I was dehydrated. Uh -huh. um, so they get us there. They get us to, it, it, it seemed like forever. And these this, this life flight crew, they just bonded with him. They loved him. They didn't want to hand him over when we Aww. got to, to Phoenix Children's. They were very possessive. And they were like, kind of like when, when they had to do a handoff to the nurses, they were like, are you the right people? And are you going to take care of our little guy? You know? So it was just so sweet. It was so sweet of them. And um, they just took really good care of us. And I wish, you know, you don't remember who and what, but I always wish I could be like, thank you so much for that. That meant so much. Um, we get there, I'm exhausted, they take my child, and the doctor, the surgeon comes out, Dr. Moss, and he's like talking to me, talking at me about my son, and he's like, I was like, is there any chance? And he's like, no. See, look at this. And he has him like on his side, and he puts his hand on his ribcage, and Alejandro like wiggles, and he goes, oh, look at that, he's ticklish. And he does it again and makes him like wiggle. And he's like, yeah. He goes, but notice his legs don't move. Aww. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for pointing out the obvious. He's like, 
what I'm going to do is just repair this so that he can function and there'll be no future damage. But what has already happened happened in week one, week two, and there's no coming back from this. And he did say it much nicer than first doctor, but it was still kind of harsh to hear because it's that validation of this Mm -hmm. is it. There is no, this surgery isn't going to make him walk. Right. Um, But he was like, other than that, he goes, he's fine. And I was like, well, that made me feel better. That's fine. That's um, good. And how many, I know he had surgery number one there, probably shortly thereafter. How many has he had? Oh, wow. I didn't prep that question. Ah, threw one at you, didn't I? Yeah, it's been quite a few. He's had, um, so he had the initial repair. He's had bilateral um, tendon, uh, ankle tendon release twice. So that's, if you count each side, um, if you count each side, that right. would be um, four surgeries there. He's had his toes, big toes, operated on twice. Um, I'm losing count of them. Yeah, so that's like he six, had, seven, eight, something. Yeah. Yeah. He eight. had his big spinal fusion surgery in 2019. And then the rods broke that December. And he had to go in for spinal repair in January, January of 2020. And that's where they did the wound back which is them going in and operating and closing over and over again. And they did that five times. Oh, my gosh. Just just under 20. And then two knee surgeries. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Maybe 20. So, you know, some of the things that come to my mind, I mean, I had my oldest child, who I'm sure Teresa probably prefaced with the fact that he passed away, but before he passed away, he was diagnosed at seven years old of being a diabetic. And I mean, it's nothing in comparison. It's just the fact that as parents, that whole feeling of, what did I do wrong? How can I fix yep. this? Why is this happening to me? Um, you know, I mean, I we could sit here for probably an hour and go through all of those emotions that happens. So how do you, how do you keep your attitude well your son's attitude well your family's attitude well how does how does depression not come in how does anger and grief and all that other stuff how 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 is it emotionally that you probably take turns in your family bouncing from one emotion no. to another i imagine Gina takes them all <laughs> so how is that emotionally just like for the whole family and it's now been from 2007 and we're in 2023 now so it's been years, and I know you've practiced over the years, and it's probably oh, yeah. had its ebb and flow, it but was... I'm sure there are days where it still feels the same as that very, very first moment of guilt and anguish that happened. It's grief. You mm-hmm. you go through the, the stages of grief. You have to grieve the dream that you had the nerve to think you had control of. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was it. Like, once I came to terms with that... And I say it so easily now, but it wasn't easy. It was an no. easy journey. Mm-hmm. I would get so angry at hearing my friends celebrate their child's like mile, you know, mile markers, and oh, they're doing this, and oh, they're doing that. I'm like, you learned how to roll over, right. you know, like, like, yeah. and nobody would celebrate with me. I, 
It was so hey, I celebrated and with you. <laughs> you did, but you weren't here. Right. I'd have to call you and say, he rolled over. Right. And she's like, great. Like, Teresa was my cheerleader. She was always there for me. And um, I had probably one friend here that kind of, that did a really good job of trying to be considerate of, of us and his situation, mm-hmm. but it was really hard for other people. Like we're all sit- five of us had babies at the same time and everybody's talking about what they're doing and where they're going. And, or they'd make decisions like, Oh, well, we didn't invite Alejandro because we didn't think he could do that. Oh, and that would just break my heart. Yeah. And I, I always appreciated those families. And I will say they were always families that came from a medical background. Right. They're like, Hey, we're having this party. We'd like all 100 to be there. What do we need to do to be able to make it easy? Mm-hmm. Do we need to have an extra person there? Do you, you know, like, do you want to bring brother so he can be his person? Like, I love those families who thought yeah. outside the box. And they brought to me something I hadn't thought of before mm-hmm. for other people. You, you asked how it was. It was tough. I was a mess. I was on antidepressants probably the first two years of his life. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a Father's Day somewhere in the middle that I realized I wasn't laughing anymore. And I wasn't enjoying this beautiful baby and his siblings and pussy. You know, they were just so happy to be with him and interact with him. And I thought, I need to feel this pain. And I... I started the journey of like learning to sit with my feelings. Mm-hmm. Teresa has been with me since I was 18. My solution to feelings is to run away. Yeah. Run oh. away. Mm-hmm. I don't deal to... with it. I shove it down or I run away from it over and over and over again. And at that point I was like, you can't run from this. This is your life. And this is the life you wanted. Good, bad, or ugly. Right. You need to face it. Mm-hmm. And but... that was hard because that's not how I was brought up. We shove feelings down. <laughs> right. down. Exactly. So to break, exactly. to break that mold was hard. And also to be okay with me. It's okay for me to be jealous of my friends. Yeah. They're, you know, that was weird to be like, yeah, you know, I can't hear you today. I'm struggling with this. Mm-hmm. And not expect them to, like, I don't expect anything from them. I didn't expect it from them. I didn't want them. I didn't want, I wanted them to understand this isn't them. This is me coping. And I am happy for them, proud of their children, glad for everything they can do. But for me, my, my, my new, my, our path looks different. And once I accepted that our path is different, I was like, it's okay. I, you know, one of the things that I struggle with the most is when someone, you know, we're talking about my kiddo and I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's got a wheelchair. And, you know, cause to me, it's just Tuesday. Right. And I, I mentioned something. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to go get this for his chair. or We need to go get that. Or, and they're like kind of questioning, like, what's what's going on? I'm like, oh, my son, he's in a wheelchair. That's really all I say right. nowadays. I don't go into detail. I don't talk about spina bifida. It's too, a lot of times it's too much for other people. Mm-hmm. And I just say, my son uses a wheelchair for mobility. Yep. And they say, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, don't be. You don't need to be. We're not. Right. He's not. Mm-hmm. He chose his chair over walking. He did not want to walk. It was too hard. It was too painful. And it kept requiring more and more surgeries. And he was like, I am done. Aww. I don't want people cutting into me anymore. And mm-hmm. I can respect that. Yeah. And Absolutely. Some people said I made we made those decisions too early for him. I've talked to his ortho who was with him from 
birth until last year, he was like, that's okay that he called it and that you listened to him because ultimately he has to live that life and I don't. Right. So exactly. I was like, okay, I don't feel guilty about that. So I, it was a long journey. It was a lot of anger and frustration and asking yourself, why did this happen to me? And really getting to the point of saying, why not me? Right. This was my path. Mm-hmm. I've been through pain. I've been through suffering. I've had my heart broken. Um, our first daughter, um, Teresa is aware of, she passed away. I didn't make it past 22 weeks with her. Mm-hmm. And it was a late pregnancy and it was so difficult. And we lost her. I got to mm-hmm. hold her. And for a glorious hour and 18 minutes, she was ours. Right. And that pain carried with me, resonated with me for so long. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And I always ask the question, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why? that's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. Why would this happen to me? What did I do? Mm-hmm. So when Alejandro came along and going through this, these feelings and these emotions, and I've always hated the, the phrase, it happens for a reason. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. For those of you that are not watching, she was uh, flipping off the bird a couple of times. So, <laughs> um, I am a... Given my past, Teresa's past, we've talked about that in our other podcast, I do not believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe that God, if you believe in him or whatever higher power you believe in, that just points at you and says, I'm going to give you this shit to deal with today. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, we're handed the life we're handed, and it's up to us. You to know, decide it, how we deal with to it. Decide. Absolutely. It's up to us, and it doesn't. You know, your child didn't get this, so someone else could be could not get it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's the well, things that happen in life, and we we have to deal with them. And Gina and I, I mean, we had the conversation. There was a heated night in Phoenix. Gina, do you remember our heated night in Phoenix? I don't know. Did it have to do with me making milk? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was so proud that I could produce milk. She oh, was there so you proud. Go. But leading up to that, because she, and she was a wreck. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a total, right, complete reason. wreck. When she called me and said, I'm in Phoenix. I have no idea where I'm at. I, um, they want me to go here. Alejandro's in the NICU. And I'm, I'm on my way. It was literally, I think... The wee hours of it was late at night. Yeah, I had no idea what time it was. I literally got I didn't on the know road. What I, was doing. I was packed and out the door on my way. She brought me clothes. I brought I her clothes. clothes. <laughs> nice. And you know, got her, got settled with her, and it was, it was after his surgery that you ended up in the emergency room, or just it was it, it was before. It was the day, it the was, night before. Um, it's before they. It's before the family arrived. Yeah. yeah, but um, he uh, she was, she's a wreck, and I know she's a wreck. And Gina, because I've already at that point in time knowing her for so long, is sliding into this. Why me? Why me? Why mm-hmm. me? And I'm trying to keep her going. It's like, okay, you need to drink water because you're getting dehydrated. This is Arizona. Yeah, blah blah blah. We're going through this whole thing, and we had a moment, and then we ended up in the emergency room <laughs> because I was right. <laughs> She's dehydrated. And all these years later, she's still reminding you. Yes, I am. I know. I am. And we are, you know, we get done at the emergency room, and it's an emotional time for 
for her, but it's an emotional time for me too, because this is my friend and this is a baby mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. And we're back at the Ronald McDonald house. Yep. And I'm Kudos like, to them. you need to drink. You need to keep drinking. We just got you done. You're going to lend back. And she's like, I don't want to. I don't want to. And that's what Gina does when she doesn't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And I'm like, you need to I pump. I put on my diva crown. <laughs> and I told her, I go, you need to pump milk for this baby. I don't want to. And she yelled at me. Stop being bossy with me. Mm -hmm. I know that. And then she made another yeah. comment, which we won't discuss unless she wants to. <laughs> About, you know, something. <laughs> but in the moment after she said it, and it's like, look, you made the choice. Mm -hmm. Back in March, when you got the news, you made the choice right then and there yep. that you were going to do this. Like it or not, sister, mm -hmm. it's here. Yep. yep. And kudos for having a support system that tells you what life is really all about. I've had it. Yeah. I've been blessed with some good friends like Teresa um, and others who have told me, you know, what's going to happen and what's not. So we, we've talked so much about this beautiful baby and your path. And so I'm going to ask you maybe some questions that I know I want to know. And, and if you're not comfortable answering them, then please tell me. But um, I think about you know, life expectancy and what what that means and is his life going to be shortened because of this disease and does he does he have a very bright future or are there those things more obstacles of, you know, is he given some crazy diagnosis that he can only live to this age or whatever. So what is what's that like? Um that was, you know, interesting. Someone had asked me that when he made it to early head start one of the teachers in the room had asked me that question one day and I remember falling apart because it's not something I had ever been asked before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I went to the director. I'm like, Hey, she asked me what is the life expectancy was. Right. Is this something I need to be worried about? Like I was devastated. And she was like, she meant no ill intent right. on it. And it was just a question. She has had a child. Um, she works with special needs children. And sometimes there are, mm -hmm life expectancies. I was like, that never even crossed my mind. And I love this director. I still love her to this day. She's not in that same role, but she's a, a big influence in my life at that time. And she was like, just so helpful in helping me understand and, and realize like, she's like, you should ask more questions. Mm -hmm. You need to ask more questions. And so it was a question we've continued to ask. And Pretty much what we have learned is, and this is from our urologists, other physicians may have different things to say. They said that kidney maintenance is the number one thing that used to, in, before healthcare got good, mm -hmm. or good, um, that would kill a person who had right. spina bifida. And they said smoking, which I was like, what? Smoking affects the kidneys. Mm -hmm. And that would be what they're to be concerned about and it's funny because whenever he goes to his urology appointments they always like so are you smoking and he's like not today <laughs> not today not today and he goes he goes i'll let you know when that changes um but they've really helped him understand the science and helped him understand the like i love his physicians he's got a great health uh, 
system behind him, um, all these different doctors we've pieced together for different parts of his anatomy and his needs, physical, mental, spiritual needs. And they are just so real with him because oh, he is awesome. that kind of person. He's just, he's going to be 16 this year and they are just so great at explaining things to him. And he's so great at understanding and asking and just being like cognizant of when he's, that he's taking their time and that he's asking good questions and then he retains them and then he educates us and anybody else who wants <laughs> That's to That's awesome. That's awesome. So since, you know, the name of our podcast here is called Courage or Crazy, I want to ask you some things about courage and some things about crazy. Um, okay. In all of this, and I mean, I can't even pick one at the courage it takes to get through <laughs> all of this, but if you had to narrow it down, what do you feel either from, from you, from Alejandro, from your husband, from your other kids, what do you think is the most courageous thing that you or any of them have done or he has done for himself to help him deal with all of this, let's call it what it is, all of this shit that's been given to your life that is now your normal, his normal. So if you had to narrow it down to one or possibly two, the most courageous moments that stick out in your head, what, what would those be? Um, this was a really hard one. I thought about the question for a long time. And I think because I've never associated my life with courage, mm -hmm. I've just thought like we're being fearless and we're just doing the thing. Right. We get up every day, we do the thing. And so actually putting the word courageous to it was kind of like, oh, hey, we're doing a thing. <laughs> we're doing a thing. You're doing a big <laughs> doing thing. A thing. <laughs> um, oh. I think something that was a turning point, because I really did kind of feel sorry for myself for a long time. And again, my husband is like, got these wonderful things he says every once in a while. He's a very silent man until he has something important to say or sees something. And I think the most courageous thing that maybe I did as a mother was overcoming the feeling of helplessness and that that we were alone in this journey. Right. Like, I always felt like nobody understands because nobody else is doing what I'm doing. And maybe that's, you know, I've come so far from that. Um, and then the not feeling sorry for ourselves. I felt so sorry for us, like, well, this happened to us, and mm -hmm. you know, and then not allowing others to feel sorry for us. We often, like after he was in the hospital for um, the the wound backs and going through that, that whole process in 2020, um, when I returned back to the office, everybody's like, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, I don't know how you wouldn't. Right. You know, this, is, this is what you do. Uh -huh. And I, I no longer feel sorry for us. I, this is our life and I wouldn't have it any other way. And if it comes off as courageous, I'm happy for that. But I think also it gave me the strength to stop comparing myself to other people. Right. Stop comparing myself, stop comparing our lives. And I've done that with my children. And I've done that with Alejandro. And I think that may be the greatest thing that we've given him is that, yeah, your life looks different from other people. 
but it doesn't make it any bad, any better or any worse than theirs. Right. It's what you put into it that's mm-hmm. going to determine how your life is. And that took, you know, from birth until yeah. who knows well, when. Well, and that, that is there. a, that is a, the whole picture. And I don't know if Teresa shared with you some of, you know, the, our conversations are not and I'm an open book so she is more than welcome to do that but <laughs> I always I always use a phrase and it's helped me get through a lot in my life um, but I always say love conquers all and I've yeah. listened to you for I don't know now going on an hour yeah. and um, <laughs> you know and the number one thing I pick out of there is you know yes there's a lot of courage that you guys have all faced your whole family has faced and and quite honestly probably all of his care team has faced you know they've yeah. they've overcome that that courageousness and they've you know like dug down deep and and you know battled whatever they needed to in order to help him and help you as a family and so love is the predominant thing that i see you know, I mean, the love your husband had for you to help you in the way he did, the love you have for your other children, and the love you quite honestly had for him because you were given some bad news and could have made a different choice. Oh, yeah. You could have made a different choice. That, that was the, the crazy thing. Even at 32 weeks, they were like, we can we can take care of you. Like, just the, I was like, what? Yeah. I have been waiting too long for this child. Right. And, and like I said, it was a difficult pregnancy. And me saying, no, this yep. kid is coming. Come hello, high water. Exactly. This kid is coming. Exactly. Love does conquer all of that. So uh, we cannot do courage and we cannot do love without throwing in some crazy. Oh, so yeah. holy moly. Between the stories of you <laughs> and Teresa and the stories of the crazy things that have happened in your journey along the way, um, is there one thing that pops out in your head as the craziest thing that has happened in this journey so far? So we're not, <laughs> we're not to assume that nothing crazy is going to happen any as we move even forward in this. Yeah. <laughs> What's the craziest, Gina? I don't know. That, that's a really hard question. I guess, I don't know. There's just so much, so much. I think like, any... mom learned how to, I mom think... learned how to ski so that she could ski with him. And <laughs> <laughs> I, not my favorite thing. My um, favorite because... story was when he was much, much younger and trying, having to take his wheelchair away from him. Oh, yeah. Because he would use it as a weapon <laughs> when he was mad. <laughs> All right. A wheelchair is a weapon. Now, that's he, you When mean. he was little, he, um, he went through a, a Fast and Furious stage. Yes. And he had his daycare, um, while they were mopping the floor, he had them flick it down so he could race around it so he could... Tokyo Drift. Yes. Um, and so they have this video of him just like going around and around the table and drifting with his wheelchair. That's awesome. Like, I think the craziest was the day, and Dina literally, she goes, what do I do with a toddler who rams his wheelchair into me when he's in trouble? Hmm. And I'm just saying to myself, this is not... Not a normal conversation. This is not a normal conversation yeah. that I would have. Yep. Right. With any of my friends when my children were young, but yet with my friend Gina, this is normal conversation. conversation. 
You yeah. have a Normal young woman who is mm-hmm. using a wheelchair as a ramming it. device because he's <laughs> mad at mom. <laughs> so what? I'm sure as like, we as we look through your journey, there's probably a lot of crazy. So I have two final questions for you, and I know this the first of these two is going to be kind of hard for you to answer in, in a condensed format. Yeah. But let's do our best at it. If you had a piece of advice to share with another family facing the same decision, facing life with a child with spina bifida, what what words of encouragement, what words of advice, what are some of the things that you would say to them? First off, don't scroll the internet. You are not Dr. Google. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, that, and find your resources. Find your, um, people don't like the word help. They don't like to hear, go ask for help. So I tell people, look for your resources. Um, I'm someone who, during his times at Early Head Start, became an advocate for other families. And all they really had me do was just talk to other families going through birth, you know, children's having birth defects or being born um, prematurely. And a few times I've talked to other families that have had children with spina bifida. And really, the advice I give them is know your child. Mm-hmm. Only you know what's best for them. And only you can, can determine what kind of care or what direction you want to go. Don't let the physicians and the doctors and the, the authority, you know, the people who know things right. tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know your child the way you know. You are, from the moment that child is born and brought into this world, you are their advocate, and you need to be there for them. You need to be brave. You need to have courage to tell people when. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a little bit of this from when Teresa and was there at the NICU with me, and they really wanted me to pump. They really wanted me to breastfeed. And like I said, I wasn't in the right mindset. And they were really rude to me. Mm. And I wasn't advocating for myself at all. That's okay. I Take was care of that one. just taking it. And Teresa, one, got in my face and said, stop letting people tell you what to do. Right. You're not this person. And I said, I am too tired. And she's like, you got a long journey ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You need to do this. And so once she snapped at them, got them to back off. Um, and she was like, <laughs> when she says no, she means no, back off. And so they left me alone. And then as when she wasn't there, they became more like, they, they were like, is she going to really tell us anything? And yeah, I was like, I'm not doing this right now. I have not, we didn't get the chance, you know, at the beginning to do the, the nursing and the bonding and all that. So it wasn't working. And when he did launch on, it was the worst feeling in the world to me. And so I was like, I will gladly pump for six months if I have to, but I am not latching on again. Mm-hmm. And they weren't happy about that. But that was my decision. And finally, I was able to, like, vocalize it. And just that, you know, I know there was more conversation that me and Teresa had. But she's like, you need to tell them what you want and what you're willing to do. And I, and that's been my overwhelming, like, advice I showed for all other families that I talked to. 
you are their advocate. If you feel something, if you think your kid is struggling at school, you need to say something. Stop listening to that person who goes, it's just their behavior. If you at your core think there is something more, you need to listen to that because that's why you're that child's parent. Because you feel those things. So advocate, advocate and use your resources and don't be embarrassed. That's what they were created for. You know, if there's a a center that deals with this type of behavior or or that kind of care, use it. That's what they are created for. So that is like my biggest piece of advice. Advocate. I mean, that's a great piece of advice for every parent. Definitely. Um, Healthy children or not, advocate for them. So as we're wrapping up, first off, I want to thank you so much. I know sharing some of the details is not always the easiest thing, but um, I do believe it someone out there needs to hear it and you've probably made a huge difference in someone's if not many people's minds and and in their hearts so the last question i have for you um given all that you've been through do you believe it takes a whole lot of courage to get through life and a whole lot of crazy to survive it i do <laughs> good I answer <laughs> sarcasm yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely so i i know we've left out so much stuff in this long journey and so many things that i know yeah um we do teresa's going to wrap us up here in a couple of minutes and we do want people to reach out and i hope that you are willing to maybe accept a a phone call from teresa email if one of our listeners has questions or just needs a little bit of piece of advice. We'll try not to bug you too much, but <laughs> I hope you're willing to at least engage a little bit or help us engage with our listeners if they do call and ask questions. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you. Um, I I kind of sat in this chair and almost felt like I was living this journey with you. And uh, so I'm kind of wore out and I'm kind of on the verge of tears. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do we so do we yeah so do i we have tons so here i i can't i've seen pictures and i've i i just it, you know it, losing children like Teresa and i have people and, always say to you. us and you yes you have you're in that mix with us and i know you've heard it i can't imagine and we truly the three of us along with many many other people out there we truly live the unimaginable life. And and it's a it takes a whole lot of courage, but man, I'm glad to throw in some crazy to help us get through it. <laughs> so Teresa, if you will say a few finishing words I, I am to your say friend. A few finishing words. Gina, thank you so much for doing this and being with us today. Um, I am going to see maybe, maybe if yeah. I can get Gina to Maybe further the story, maybe break it down, maybe mm-hmm. do a series of writing things for oh, us. Oh, how about some blogs? I know, we maybe some some blogs. some blogs that go a little more. We're calling you out on air. I know, right? <laughs> put you on the spot. So now I know why you said yes to, like, I love yeah. writing. <laughs> right? Oh, really? Now you know. I, I did have the thought that, you know, because it, it's hard. I mean, is. this has been, Alejandro is how old now? He is 15. You'll be 16 in May. You know, 16, almost 16 years. Wow, 16. Yeah, hard to condense that into an hour's worth of Hard to condense it into 
I mean, we just did it and we put ours in three minute format and we right. both know how hard that was. So, but anyway, Gina, I thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing yet again, more tears, sharing them with me and my friend, Cheryl. And thank you to all the listeners who have, if you've listened to both parts of this, if you have any questions, leave us comments, send us emails. Um, more than willing to interact with anybody and answer any questions that we can. Um, I'm also going to say, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. That's where you should start at. Part exactly. one, then part two, or you're going to be lost. Exactly. Bring your tissues. Bring your, your tissues. Bring your tissues. Bring your tissues. And we appreciate everyone who listens to us and joins us on a weekly basis and on this journey of courage and crazy. And I can't do this exit as eloquently as Trapper does, but... But he's buried in the snow. But he's buried in the snow in northern Arizona (laughs) with no cell phone (laughs) service, I think. Um, All I got to say is better him. I know, definitely better him than us. Sorry, Trapper. (laughs) We greatly appreciate each and every one of you that joins us, and we look forward to spending more time with you again in our next podcast. Thank you very much.